Today's show is brought to you by Qualcomm, which is part of the daily lives of billions of people around the world. They may not be the name you think of when you think of smartphones, but they invented all the stuff smartphones rely on to be so smart. Qualcomm is why you love your smartphone. Learn more at qualcomm.com slash we invent. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That's me. I'm part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm here at Vox Studios with Dana Gould, who is a professional comedian, humor writer, podcaster. He's the creator of Stand Against Evil, which is a television show you can watch on actual television. It's mm-hmm. on IFC. Welcome, Dana. Hi, how are you, Peter? We last talked eight years ago. I was just calling up the YouTube clip. Right. When you were sitting in with Adam Carolla yeah. when he was a fledgling podcaster. Yeah, that was, the early, that was the early days right after the radio show uh, went kaput. And he, he was just in he, his garage. He was actually in his garage. Yeah. Podcasting for giggles. Now he's the king of podcasts. Now he is the quite literally. He has a he has an expansive network and he has a his own studio. And I was just on a podcast the other day. Everyone has uh, a podcast. Uh, everyone has a podcast. Welcome the other to day. my podcast. The guy, well, the guy who sprays vegetables at our Trader Joe's has a podcast called Still Spraying, and I was on that. No, I was on some, and and they're part of some network. And, and yeah. a venture capitalist gave them $15 million to yeah. start a humor division of their podcast. Sure, why not? And I'm like, why am I in my kitchen? I'm quite literally doing mine We my can get kitchen. you some VC money. That'd be good. What's your pitch? How are you going to disrupt the space? It's, uh, it, here's, here's the pitch of my podcast. It comes out irregularly. It's never the same amount of time. And I don't take notes. I'm a listener. The Dana Gould <laughs> Hour? The Dana Gould Hour, never which an is, hour. Which is never an hour. But always with me. Um, and you put it out when you can. I do, well, now that I have advertisers, I, I'm usually it's at the very, very end of the month, the very, very beginning of the month. But I do uh, – it's one of those things that I started. Uh, it's – you know, I do it. I do it on my dime. And I'm like, great. I'm going to do this how I want, when I want, and I'm not going to take notes. If I'm going to pay for it, it's going to be what I want to do. And uh, it seems to have gotten a listenership despite that. That's kind of your career, right? I mean, yeah. you have a lot of autonomy. You've yes. been able to do a lot of cool things, more or less, of your own volition. You have your own television show. Hard, yeah, harder to hit a moving target. But I do. Yeah, I, I stumble. Uh, I keep stumbling into uh, – Situations where I get very fortunate. You are here today. Stand against evil, being the, yeah, the yeah. Best so let's talk about the people that. who are paying for for you to be here today. <laughs> Those fools. <laughs> There's a very nice publicist sitting right here, smiling. Um, describe Stand Against Evil. It's a it's a mashup of sort of genres. Right? Yeah, it's a horror comedy. The basic premise is, in fact, this was how I came up with the show. Uh, what if uh, Dana Scully on the X Files, instead of being partnered with Fox Mulder, was partnered with my dad? And uh, it was set in my hometown. And the, 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 the your the dad character of the show. Is, is John C. McGinley. John C. McGinley, based on my real father, who I, I've often described as Archie Bunker without the elegance and sophistication. And, you, and you've written yourself a role. But John C. McGinley is great. He's John's he's, amazing. He's You may not know who he is when we describe him by name, but you've seen him he's in Dr. a million Cox movies. Dr. Cox on Scrubs. He's, he's Dr. Scrubs. Cox on Scrubs. He's in all the Oliver Stone movies. He's in every Oliver Stone movie. and uh, He's in Office Space. He's one of the two He's one of the bobs. Yeah. No, he's, he's, he's one of those girls. Like, oh, yeah, him. He's, a, he's an amazing character actor. And uh, what the origin of the show is I had written a pilot. You know, my, my dad is this really um, un- not unique, but uh, I look exactly like him and we couldn't be less alike. It's, it's, it's really uh, strange. Uh, I have four older brothers. They're all, they're all men. They're men. You know, 
Can we, can we swear on this? Yeah, 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 fuck it up. As, as I said, like, you know, their balls have balls. You know, they're just brr, they're prison guards and police officers, and they're all a foot and a half taller than I am. And you said, I'm going to California. And I grew up, I did not like sports. I did not go hunting. I did not go fishing. I loved, I was funny, and I loved horror movies. And my father could not figure out how I didn't like sports and was heterosexual. Could not make that connection well into my 20s. Could not make that connection. And... I did a pilot for ABC based on the premise, um, what if my dad had to come and live with my wife? You know, my, my wife were very progressive. Blah, you know, we have adopted children yeah. from China. And, you know, it's just, and then you put Archie Bunker in the middle of that. And Brian Denny, he played my dad. And it was really terrific. And I had a great time. And it, it, it got made. It didn't go to series, but it got made. And I knew after that pilot, well, I know that character works. And... I wanted to do something with that character, but I didn't want the show to be about him because then it's just that sweaty Norman Lear baloney. Slash uh, Donald Trump. Yeah, but I just yeah. like, I don't want it to be, I don't want to be a oh, dad's irrelevant, you know, oh, dad. You know, yeah. I, he was making fun of every episode of uh, Grace Under Fire. Hey, we're going to go make fun of the blind kid. Baby, we need to have a talk. I didn't want to do that. <laughs> um, so... Uh, I thought, well, what if I just took a show that I would like to watch and just put my dad in the middle of it, put him in a show where he doesn't belong. And you're someone who loves horror, horror movies. I love, and I, I adore stuff. them, yeah. And so I thought, like, what if I took the X-Files and just put my dad in the middle of it and everybody had to deal with him? And that was the show. And it, it was quite literally that. Was this something you were pitching around for a long time? Or Wasn't, this, never yeah. pitched it. I was going to do it on my own dime for uh, the interwebs. I thought it would be a funny little seven- minute digital series. It, I was going to play my dad. Yeah. I had makeup. Uh, I'm very, very good friends with uh, Greg Nicotero, who is now the king of The Walking Dead, okay. um, one of the executive producers uh-huh. and runs the makeup. He's, he's, a, he's a genius. And I've known him forever. And I literally just called him up. It's weird to have friends like this in the, like, hey, uh, can you make me look like I'm in my 70s? Yeah. For a home movie I'm going to make. Yeah, for the thing. Yeah, sure, come on up. And they did it, and I thought, great, I'll just do this. And then I was quite literally having lunch with Pete Aronson from IFC. And it wasn't even a show business lunch. We were just friends. Just eating. Yeah, we had two dudes and some chicken. Uh, we hadn't seen each other in a long time. Uh, I had gotten, I'd gotten amicably divorced, so he's like, hey, let's catch up, see what's going on. Because he was at my wedding, and I think he was trying to see if he was within his rights to get his gift back. <laughs> and uh, he just casually said, you know what you should do? You should do like a funny X-Files. Like just and uh-huh. I and I literally said I just did. I literally just said. He synced up. The, but I was going to ask like this. It seems like the show that you very well could produce on your own, right? It's it's yeah. intentionally sort of low budget yeah. and aesthetic. And I, you know, for years, obviously, everyone wants to make a television show. But in 2017, that's not a foregone conclusion that you would right. want to make a thing that runs on television. Yeah. Most people are just like, well, it's on the Tic Tac Network. You can watch it on your phone if you hold your phone up to a mirror and you're yeah. underwater. Uh, Yeah, no, it was – I did not think – well, I took it from the other view. I did not think anybody would want to do this Uh, because to me it was – to paraphrase uh, Andy Kindler, uh, my target audience, my demographic is men my age who are me. (laughs) There's a couple of you. (laughs) There is. Well, apparently there's more than I thought. There's a guy in the mirror. Yeah, there's more than I thought. Um, And so when I pitched it to Pete – you, you know, he said, well, you'd have to change A to B and B to C and C to D. And we developed it a little bit. And Pete's a writer. Pete yeah. actually wrote on a show I did years ago. And it was very simple. And then I 
took in the revised version and pitched it, and and they did it. And IFC does these; they're owned by AMC, which is pretty much the Walking Dead business. Yes. Yeah. Um, and IFC has all these quirky comedies with David Cross and Mark Maron yeah. has had had yeah. had them and Comedy Bang Bang, kind of aimed at people like me, I guess. Yeah, maybe. totally. Yeah, um, but we are now a demographic. Yeah. But um, I'm, just, I'm sort of wondering what their expectations are for what your expectations. It's it's by sort of definition a niche program on a it niche is, network. It's a niche program, but now all programs are niche programs right. unless you're you know the Good Doctor or something like that. Because of the way media is now, it's all separated. And these right. So mini, what? Mini so drawers. obviously they want people to watch it on television. But is the expectation? Yeah, sure, we'll get this many views on TV, but eventually this is going to be something we're going to sell yeah, on the iTunes first, or – Well, yeah, it goes – what happens is they they run it on television and they have, you know, whatever their their metric is. We did very well. I'm very grateful that people like the show. Because you have I a second it, season. We did. And I think it just – I think it hit – we get two audiences, you know, because I'm – the the show is really funny. John is really funny. Janet Varnett's really funny. Deborah Baker Jr. is really funny. Nate Mooney's really funny. And it's scary. And I the people who make it love horror movies. And we are always doing homages to horror movies. We're always inside jokes and and it's not sloppy. The rules are very definite and the rules of the, the script or the, rules the world. Of the, yeah, the, the rules of the world, yeah. Uh, which is very important. And as a result, we get two audiences. We get a comedy audience and we get a horror movie audience. And uh, I think that um, is the reason the show does uh, so well. But it, so did we, do you want people to watch it on television? I don't want anyone to watch it at all. You're totally <laughs> misunderstanding my point. Of course. Obviously. <laughs> but, but, so, so, but I want to be like that group that just made the one, one album and then that horrible pharma dude bought it. <laughs> <laughs> is that, it, a, is that it, a real thing? Yeah. Well, is that the Scarelli, the horrible pharma bro that everybody loathes? I guess right, the, like the Wu Tang Clan. Clan. Yeah. Yeah. I want to be the Wu Tang Clan until I make one episode and then I delete. I think it. you are the Wu Tang. I am the Wu Tang. You look exactly Clan. like them. Uh, but I'm. I, I look. You have to give them credit yeah. for being a large group of African Americans <laughs> that thought, let's just call ourselves the Clan. Any kind of clan <laughs> is fine with us. And if we play our cards right in 2016, <laughs> Again, we'll get two audiences. this douchebag is going to buy our one album. It's going to work out perfectly for us. Um, but yeah, we uh, it runs on IFC and starts November. Yeah. Season two starts November first, and season one is on Hulu. Uh, so people can can catch up or refresh. And we have a lot of new fans just from the Hulu uh, run. So. The way Adam Carolla said it best, you know, you used to have an empty swimming pool, you put a big hose in it, and now you have 40 little hoses, but it ends up being the same amount. You've, you've got daughters who are teens, preteens. Yeah. Do you watch them consuming media and think, oh, I got to make something that they're going to end up watching on their phone one day because that's where this is going? Or do you think, I'm just going to make my thing and no, however I've it gets always, out, it gets I've out? Always, I've always had the theory that the, uh, the, the public wants what it gets, that if I'm as a craftsman, do what I do and put it out there, then people will find it. I every time I've tried to second guess what people want, it's just garbage. Is this uh, the first? my own my own uh, you know my own career? But what I find strange about them, like my daughters, especially uh, you know, love you know uh, their their mom is in television. I'm in television. They you know it's their world. Their mother was a HBO executive. For yeah, time, yeah. Right? And now she runs uh, Anna Perna. Uh, the picture, the television department in Annapurna. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, there's a character on The Simpsons that's based on my daughter. Uh, Ling Bouvier, the adopted Chinese daughter of, of uh-huh. Selma, is my, that's my daughter Lulu. And, uh, and she was watching, we were, had it on in the house one day, and she was watching The Simpsons. 
And she's like, yeah, it's kind of funny. Like she's <laughs> passive aggressive. And, and Ling Bouvier came on and went, oh, honey, that's you. And she goes, yeah. And I go, no, honey, that's you. I wrote that up, first episode that she was on and I gave them your baby picture and that's you. She's like, yeah. I like Bob's burgers though. I like it better. <laughs> You know, it's just uh, she's so funny. We have this little gift that I can't I can't divulge because because uh, Jamie's going to get one. I don't want to ruin the surprise. But she wanted it signed by the cast, and I had the whole cast sign it. And when I gave it to her, she goes, "Oh, thanks." Now, how long after you die can I put this on eBay? <laughs> so she's fully come to grips with the fact that you're in media, but and also doesn't care. Totally. Yeah. Why would she? It's it's all she's ever known. And she lives in Hollywood. And yeah, it's all she's ever known. Yeah. This yeah. is the first show you've made yourself, right? That no, no, I had a show on. Uh, I had a show on MTV with uh, Rob Cohen and a scrappy young man named Pete Aronson on our writing staff uh, called Super Adventure Team, which was the movie Team America, but uh, two years before Team America. Wow. But who's bitter? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you do you think? But they did, in a startling coincidence, yeah. hire our, our entire voice cast. That was oh, also nice. that works out well. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you've worked with The Simpsons for a long time as a writer. I was on The Simpsons for a long time, and I was on uh, Parks and Rec and some other shows. Do you think? I mean, do you imagine you're going to make more TV? Yes, yeah. I have you, meetings. I have meetings. This on the is books. still an ongoing thing for you. This is. Not- oh no! Yeah, I have. I have basically three careers. I I do stand up comedy still. Yep. I'll be in uh, Chicago November first, November second, third, and fourth. At uh, Zany's, and I promise it will be zany. And it's much zanier than the old club in Chicago, Morose's. You know, my album is out, Mr. Funny Man, just came out October 26th. So I do stand-up comedy, but I do stand-up comedy because I have to do it. Everything else I do kind of comes from have comes to do out it of that. because you have that itch to Yeah, and, and all my other creative endeavors that sort of – that I would say that being a comedian is like the nuclear rod that powers the rest of my output. Um, but TV pays the bills, it sounds yeah, like? that's yeah, exactly still. right. Yeah, I don't make, I'm you know, stand, the money I make on stand-up comedy is not going to put three kids through private school. I was talking to a uh, recent L.A. transplant. Uh, says the thing about L.A. is that everyone is, it's a one-industry town, and everyone gets now sort of that the industry is contracting. Yes. Um, Everybody's and, working three times as much for one half of the And it's money. finally sort of sinking in like, oh, this isn't going away, but it, yeah. it is shifting radically. Yes. Or, or there's going to be less money to go around. And Absolutely. Gonna, like you just said, we're going to have to work harder at it. Yeah. Is the, is somebody the, said, welcome to the new economy. Your car is a cab and your house is a hotel. <laughs> and is the, the fact that Hulu is showing up and Netflix is showing up and Apple is showing up, is the, is, are, are, are people hopeful? Oh, maybe this replaces the thing that is going away or, or is, are, are people more muted in their I think it is ambition? more muted and it's all, you know, nature. Evolution does not favor the strongest. Uh, the strong don't I'm looking survive. at you quizzically. It favors that which is the most adaptable to change. So – uh, that when people we need to be strong, great. I'm going to adapt, <laughs> but I'll come. You to your go funeral. fight the war. I'm yeah, going to hang go, back. You tell me how it goes. I'll go. Fight, I'll go to your funeral. So uh, that that's uh, part of it. It's just as every other, and it's not just show business. It's every business, unless, right? Unless you're in the you know the prison guard union, which is looking really good. strong, because that's a big business putting people in prison. But. Uh, uh, yeah, everybody sort of has it. But because of it, you get things like Stand Against Evil, which is a show that, you know, when there are three networks, you're not going to get. Would never have uh, gone on. Uh, no, I don't believe so, no. Right. And uh, that's the the beauty of it is that you get to do – you get to find your audience. Remember, you ever go to like a used furniture store and you see those giant cabinets with 
bunch of just little drawers, like four inch by six inch drawer handles. A nail could go just in here. Ton, yeah, yeah, just tons of them. And, and like whoever had that, it was like in a print shop or a widget place. That's what television is like now. It, it's no longer just like a filing cabinet with three drawers. It's you can get anything you want. You so know? you get like, one of the slots. You're happy. You're yeah, good. you get one of those little slots, and you you know it's a, you don't make you're not set for life anymore. It's like you know I have a television show and I'm and I'm at Zany's. You in got two a weeks. publicist here. You're good. Flew to yeah, New York. I'm, yeah, I'm like I'm well. Yeah, I'm I'm a professional, but uh, you know it's not one of those things like you get three years and you can retire. You so keep, I'm not retiring off this big podcasting keep, as, money, as Robin Williams used to say. Got to keep slinging that hash. We're going to take a quick pause so we can sling hash yeah. or make money or whatever the metaphor is. We're nodding. We'll be right back with Dana Gould. Mm-hmm. Recode Media is brought to you by The Art of Shaving, which knows the secret of a well-groomed guy because they are the art of shaving. They were founded in New York in 1996, so they've been helping guys look their best for more than 20 years. You've seen these guys. They've got stores all over the place. You go in there, they'll give you one of those straight razor shaves. They're awesome. But they also sell products that you can use by yourself at home. They've got your total routine covered. Shaving, beard maintenance, hair, skin, body, or fragrance. Award-winning products formulated with the highest quality botanical ingredients. Stuff you want to put on your skin featuring pure essential oils. Art of Shaving offers a convenient replenishment service, which is a fancy way of saying they will deliver the stuff to your house so you can save on your favorite products and you never have to worry about running out. My listeners will receive 15% off their first order and free shipping by using the promo code MEDIA. So if you want to get this offer, go to artofshaving.com. Use my special promo code MEDIA. That gets you 15% off your first order and free shipping. Visit artofshaving.com for the special offer. Or if you just want to go see these guys in person, they are happy to help. Tell them Recode Media sent you. I'm back here with Dana Gould, who's <laughs> who's pretty relaxed. His publicist, Jamie, is it's all good. she's so happy. My brother is also named Jamie, so I have an intrinsic flinch when she's around. <laughs> Everything's cool. We're good on the show, right? Anything, anything else you want to say about Stand Against Evil? You should watch it on Hulu yeah. or on IFC we have or sh- somewhere else. You know, there's a free episode right now mm-hmm. on Facebook, free on free. IFC's page. Just go click. Right. Go watch. And it's it's – Sort of episode. our homage to an American werewolf in London. It's called Curse of the Were-Pony. It's about a man with a full moon turns into a murderous pony. Stars David uh, – in addition to John C. McGinley, David Koechner from Anchorman. Oh, yeah. He's great. Stephen Ogg from The Walking Dead and A Murderous Pony. It's 21 minutes. And if you're not driven to to check that out, I don't know what I can say to you. Pause <laughs> Pause the podcast. Come back. But do you find yourself you like having it, to explain? Ex- yeah. I mean, it's it sort of people get it right away, right? When they watch it, it's not one of those things that needs a lot of explanation. Exactly. And it's one of those things. It's funny. It's, it's like scary. Mystery Science Theater. Right. If, if you like this, you're going to – if you like this, you're going to love it. If you don't like this, you're probably not going to love it. Joel Hodgson, who's a really good buddy of mine, used to say about Mystery Science Theater, like on some of their more obscure references on that show. And when I mean obscure, I mean references. They used to do like shout outs to my act. I'm like, dude, wow. I'm the only person getting this joke. Very deep cut. Yeah, a very deep cut. But as he said, not everybody will get it, but the right people will get it. <laughs> the uh, the Simpsons famously, right? Like well, now all children's entertainment now works on two levels, right? Yes. Yeah. I Pixar, think so, yes. Shrek. My kids are seven and nine, and I've sort of shoved the Simpsons in front of them, uh, knowing full well they're Yeah, they're not going to – But they do love it. They, well, oh, they, really? they, they, well, they like Bart, right? And they like dumb Homer. Yeah. Well, when they first tested the show in 89 or 88, whenever that was, the only takeaway was that people liked yellow. 
That's the only thing they got out of the testing. That started as like interstitials. On the Tracy Ellman show. Yeah, on on Tracy Ellman. Yeah. But now all kids entertainment is sort of multi-level stuff. You worked with Simpsons for how long? Seven years, eight years, I guess. Seven years. How do you get onto that show? People hate me for telling the story. Please Uh, tell me. I was – you know, a comedian in, in L.A., and we used to do these shows at this place called Luna Park, and this was the heyday of the, quote, alternative comedy movement. It was this little hipster place in West Hollywood, and, you know, me, Janine Garofalo, David Cross, Kathy Griffin, Bob Odenkirk. And there, there was Andy Luna Dick. Lounge in New, York, in New York, which was right. not related, but kind of— Not related, but same scene. Yeah. And it was and Andy Kindler, and it was that, the heyday of, the heyday of that— uh, as I call it, uh, people in suede jackets writing on their hands. Bringing your notes up on stage. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, exactly. I was at the birth of and watched it get mutated from write something today and try it tonight to it's not right to memorize your act, which is <laughs> one of them is a good thing and one of them is a bad thing. Um, long story longer, George Meyer, who was a big writer on The Simpsons, used to come to the right. shows all the time and um, thought I was funny. And – my wife represented him. My wife at the time was his agent. And uh, he heard that I was uh, – I, I had written a pilot for myself uh, that got made but didn't go to series. And he'd heard that I was writing and he said, oh, did, would you want to come like on the show and maybe like a day a week and just like punch up jokes? And I was so arrogant. I was like, yeah, but I could only do it Monday or Tuesday because I would go on the road on Wednesdays. He's <laughs> such a jerk. Because well, that's interesting, <laughs> right? Because of a lifetime. Well, like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> but it's it's right. It's the best show or one of the best shows yeah. or a famous show. But it's a writing thing. And if you're doing stand-up yeah. comedy, especially back then, I assume there was still this yeah, aspiration was, that oh, well, I thought gonna, I was I'm going to have a, a television show that was oh, the Dana Gould show. People with really nice cars told me I was going to be a big star. I had no reason to doubt them. And so that was Driving the plan, that was, car. was you were going to be Seinfeld or – Yeah, and I did 100 pilots of that. Dana, helping out dad – Tin full of biscuits. Uh, I did a bunch of them, and then I get sick of sitting down with writers and and trying to get my voice across. And so I just said, "Well, let me write one." And I wrote a pilot called "World on His." And I, by the way, I worked with some really amazing people that are really Chase Richdale from The Simpsons, Linwood Boomer, and I did a pilot together, and it didn't go. And then he wrote a one called "Malcolm in the Middle." <laughs> I was like, finally, I heard of that one? Yeah. Once he rid himself of me, things but really But that was clicked. the aspiration for a whole – multiple Generation. generations of, of, yeah. of you're comedians. You're going to go. You're going to win. You're going to be Seinfeld. And, in the, and, in the, and there's a middle period where, where you're not Seinfeld yet, but they write you a big check to uh, – Several big checks. Holding period where you just hang out, hang out and don't do yeah, work you for get, other people. Yeah, you get paid. You get paid. We're going to do a pilot. And, they, you know, they're, they're gamblers. That's what they do. And they're – yeah, we'll roll the dice on you. We'll roll the dice on you. I was, you know, moderately uh, – I was – could speak and wasn't physically – Grotesque. Um, and so and The Simpsons, so writing for The Simpsons in your mind was, was like, yes, oh, right. a step down. No, or, no, it wasn't a step down, but I was really thought like I'm going to be uh, – it, it, it was a strange time in my life where I did a pilot that was a really clever idea that I was a big fan of called World on a String. I did it with Jake Hogan from The Simpsons. Um, and it was basically Seinfeld in the world of Pee Wee's Playhouse. It was like a conventional sitcom set in a, a reality where it didn't belong. Just like Stand Against Evil. Uh, Are you seeing a pattern? Uh, Putting shows inside of other shows like a Russian doll. Yeah. That's, the, that's the algorithm. And I had a really fun time writing it. And we didn't go to series, but we had a blast making it. And uh, I realized, yeah, I like, th- I like this. Now I'm also just about to get married. 
my wife and I had just bought a house. And I'd been doing – I was in my 30s and I'd been doing stand-up comedy since I was 17. And, you know, I thought, I, OK, what if I'm not a giant, enormous star? What if like I – What if this is my life? I'm just like, yeah, I mean I have a great relationship and I'm successful. I live, and, and the idea of being an adult suddenly became really attractive. Like, yeah, I'll get up in the morning. I'll go to work. I'll come home at night. I'll do stand-up. I'll still do stand-up. So when they offered the day a week, I was like, yeah, it'd be better if I could do it then because then I could still do stand-up. And then I did that for a while and had a great time. And then one day, Mike Scully, who ran the show, who's the greatest guy ever, just came in and said – I was sitting at the table. He goes, oh, I think – I actually think your contract expired. And I went, oh, crap. And I was like literally gathering up my stuff like to oh, leave. Yeah. And he just said, do you want to just come every day? And I went, yeah, I'd be fine. And he went, all right, I'll call your agent. And then he went, sucker. And that was it. And uh, I was there for seven or eight years, I think. It seems like that's a friend who's there now. It People seems would like hate that's, me for that story. It seems like that's a fairly because it's so established, and it seems like there's grown-ups who run it. Who do you know there now? Uh, Dan Weber. Oh Somebody yeah, I know Dan. Yeah, I did great. a show with Dan. Dan's the best. Yeah. Hey Dan. Oh, I'm sure he's not listening. Yeah. It seems like that is a fairly calm workplace that you're. Yeah, in it's partly, great. And partly maybe because it's animated, so that you're not crashing stuff for next week. You right. have to do stuff well in advance. No, you're all, you're still crashing stuff. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a different kind of workload, but. Uh, you know, because there's no physical production, you don't have like a high two months hiatus. You just it's like you work fifty weeks a year. It's like it's like working at uh, Emerson Paint. You know, you drive up, you go to the lot, you check in, you write jokes. Do you think that sometimes you good. grind down? I used, for a while I used to call it the Batan Joke March, but uh, it was I like I liked the idea of, and I, and I really enjoyed this for a while. Of being a grown up, I had a I had a nice house. My wife and I would wake up in the morning, we'd go to work. We go out on the weekends with our friends. Then we had children, and it was it was great. And then it's like this is one day you wake up like this is not who I am. I I was at a party, and I, my I I missed performing and I missed doing what I was born to do. For not to sound airy fairy about it, and uh, I was at a party and somebody said, "Are you Dana Gould?" And I said, "I used to be." And uh, my wife said, "You gotta quit. You gotta stop. You gotta get out of there. You gotta go perform. You gotta go for do a what you do. Yeah. and do that thing yeah. with all the attendant work and uncomfortableness and yeah. And, and it was and I had to restart non-steady paycheck. I, I and non-steady small paychecks. And I had to restart my career because I'd been off the road for seven years. I had no draw at all when I when I went back to it. And it was actually exciting because it was like this might not work." So you say you're, this might be a giant disaster. You're born to do this, so you had the That's traditional. A, I didn't mean to say that, but but you like That's what you I do. Did it when you were 17 and, and traditional route and small clubs yep. and bigger clubs. If you're Dana Gould starting off in 2017, do you think you'd do that same path, or do you have a YouTube thing? Or I guess Instagram you have that. Thing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have a multi. You have you have to have a. Multi-platform social media. Sure, thing. but that's but the that's people. the marketing of it. Do you think you're still performing in front of a live audience? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing, nothing beats that. But you know, I've gone to this again. I've you know I've been doing it for a long, long time, and I have a very dedicated fan base that's moderate, moderately sized. I'm in. Yeah, but you know, it's like I, I liken myself to. I, let's go to music analogy. I wanted to be the Clash. I'm X. Great. <laughs> exactly. Really happy to be X. <laughs> really happy That's to be That's great. Yeah. People know who X is. Yeah, I'm going to see him uh, night, uh, day after Thanksgiving. But I'll go to a town and I'll be performing at the club, you know, at Uncle Lucky's Chuckle Hutch. And somebody is performing at the Enormo Dome, 
that I've never even heard of. And it's like, oh, yeah, they have a, a YouTube thing. They, uh, you know, they watch, they watch people play video games and make fun of it. And they have eight trillion hits. Yeah, that's a weird thing. Yeah, but it's just those, like, I don't. But my whole take I is I don't like, know about the half life of that career. Well, I don't know either. But my yeah, my whole take is God bless them. Yeah, way to go. Eventually, you realize it's a parade. Sometimes you're afloat. Sometimes you're on the sidewalk. It's still a parade. We're going to take another quick break to hear from our excellent sponsors. Today's show is brought to you by Qualcomm, the company that invented the fundamental technology and everything you love about your phone. Download speeds to stunning photos to GPS, none of it would work the way you want it to work without Qualcomm engineers getting there first. And now, the company that changed everything with a smartphone is about to change everything else. Qualcomm is why you love your smartphone, no matter what brand of phone it is. Learn more at Qualcomm with two M's dot com slash we invent. Recode Media is brought to you by Cameron Hughes Wine. Cameron Hughes Wine lets you drink wine like you're a millionaire, even though you are just a regular Joe who likes good wine that does not cost a gazillion dollars. I'm one of those people. I've been drinking Cameron Hughes Wine for several weeks now. They sent me a bunch. It's great. Uh, what Cameron Hughes Wine does is buy excellent wine from high-end wineries all around the world. And they blend it. They put it in their own bottles with their own label. They tell you what it is so you know what you're getting. And you're also paying about 50% less than you would pay at retail. So, good wine, great prices delivered to you. Sounds like a good deal, right? But wait, it gets better. If you order three or more bottles from Cameron Hughes Wine, not only will you get a free corkscrew. That's right, a free corkscrew. It gets much better than that. You will get free shipping on your wine. That is the real deal. Wine is very heavy. It's expensive to ship. Cameron Hughes will pay those shipping costs for you. Again, good wine, great prices sent to you. Go to chwine.com. Use the promo code PETER. That's how they'll know I sent you. Go right now. Go to chwine.com. Use the promo code PETER. You'll get free shipping on every order of three or more bottles. Enjoy your wine today. Are you able to use the internet to bring people to a club that you wouldn't have been able to reach otherwise? Oh, well, now they... it's the, because in the heyday, people used to go to the club and see a let's comedian. See a, see a happened, thing. And see a comedian that happened to be you. Uh-huh. Now they go to see you. Like, you know, I, you know, when I go out, there's, it's, it's about, I'm going to be here. And, and you've got to you bring find them on Twitter or yeah, wherever. Twitter and Insta and all that stuff. Yeah. And yeah. You've you got to have that marketing uh, stuff going on. And the podcast is, it's funny. You used to want to get on late night shows and do Carson and Letterman when I was coming up. It was Carson and Letterman, and then it was Leno and Conan or Letterman. Uh, and I've done all those shows, but that's not what I get. Two things when uh, I go on the road: love your podcast, love you on Corolla. It's the podcast. It's that reach. So if that's you go on reach. Conan and do, it's great, happy I to love, do it. Happy to do it. Love Conan. Love Andy. Doesn't make a doesn't uh, resonate. It does. I don't hear it. Uh, I, the and the pod, people who listen to your podcast, you become a part of their life. You know, because especially my podcast, the Halloween one is three and a half hours long. So you're gonna, you know, you're a, you're a part of their life, and they feel connected to you. So when you go to town, people are like, "Oh, I've got to." It's like, it's like I am with the ex, right? It's, it's like super they're, they're my friends. I yeah. have to go see my no, friends. No, and they, you, you were yeah. talk, we were talking off air. You were talking about your kids. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, I know all about your kids. I've been hearing you. Yeah, talk exactly. About them people know my nicknames for my kids. Like, how the hell do you know that? Oh, you knew about what happened with our pets. I said, yeah. Oh yeah, I talked about it. Right. And you engender your audience that way. And the what I find really gratifying is that Stan Against Evil is a very natural extension of 
like my act and my stuff. Like I'm a funny person and I'm really into horror movies and my act is kind of dark and weird. My podcast talks a lot about weird movie stuff yeah. and my show is an example of that. And so it, it's all of a piece. So I think that that's a, a, a lucky accident. Happy there's, a, accident. there's a great segment you do in the podcast where you do like a history lesson. Yeah. The theme, like here's the story of the, of the Twilight Zone and Rod yeah. Serling. It's great. Thank you. Yeah, the new one's about from? The new one's about Roger Corman, and it's like a half an hour long, and it's great. What what it's it it's, it's a produced thing, and, and you spend yeah. time writing it in a script. It's I not, spend it's a not lot of time writing. It's it. not just two guys talking like this. Uh, what what was the impetus to to do that? Well, when I got my people would ask, "When are you going to do a podcast? When are you going to do a podcast?" And I didn't know, I didn't have a good idea because you do have comedians talking. And yeah, and I didn't want to. I didn't want to just have my. I didn't want to do my crappy version of Mark Maron's good podcast. Or my crappy version do. of Chris Hardwick's good podcast. That's not true. So we're not in a garage to begin with. We're in a nice, clean office. This yeah, is nothing this is like the old Mars. Goldman Sachs building. Is it really? Yeah, feel them. Feel the money ghosts. Oh yeah, yeah. interesting. So uh, what I found there used to be a show on um, NPR in Los Angeles called Joe Frank in the Dark, not to be confused with Joe Franklin. Right. Joe Frank. And it was this brilliant guy. He's still out there. And he would just tell these weird monologues. And it would be like a story. He would speak in a very rhythmic tone. And he would have music loops under it. And it would start out as a very serious story about four men climbing Mount Everest. And it would go into great detail about their preparations. And then he would talk about two of them split off from the group and the other part of the group moved on. And the two of them opened up a small French cafe halfway up the face of the curve and they had great arguments about scone size and scone. And then he would, it would get this incredibly, and then he would go into the other, like the other guy was, uh, you know, attacked by a bear. Well, he was actually fed to the bear by the other guy. And these stories would slowly unravel and, and, and just because, and he would never change, modulate his voice. And it was hypnotic and, and brilliant yeah. and so well written, but he would have these, there would be these chunks and then there'd be music and then it would be another chunk. And so I thought, I'll steal that idea. What if I can do that with conversation? Like I'll have a conversation. The original idea was I'll talk to somebody for an hour, cut it into segments, yeah. and just put it in random order with music in between it. And then it, I realized it was better. I do two interviews. cut Weave them. Into, them. I, yeah, I take two 60-minute interviews, cut them into 10 six-minute segments, six 10-minute segments, uh, hopscotch them with music in between them. And then we would always get into – a groove about something and that, well, I'll just, exp now I'll take a break and I'll explain what it is and give a little history lesson because I do have a, a, a lot of interest in really weird minutia. And that's m now my favorite part is like, t like, you know, you, you know about Roger Corman, you've heard of Roger Corman, but do you really know about Roger Corman? Like, and, and I'll go. just, and yeah, you know, that he, you know, got his degree in industrial engineering and worked as an industrial engineer for four days and then quit after eight years of and schooling. And that's your sweet spot, right? Sort of older Hollywood, or, or interesting popular new stuff. culture. Yeah. But yeah. It's, it's, it's usually some, we're going to take you back to the 30s, 40s, 50s, well, 60s. Well, the, the, premise, the, the premise is that everything that we have now has been done before. It's just a little bit different. But everything is just a, a, a rehash of something else. You know, Donald Trump is Richard Nixon just a little bit more, you know. Yeah. One day there'll be Donald Trump, but a little bit more. No. That's hard to no. imagine. It's, but I, somewhere out there, there's an orangutan that likes to shoot people with a super soaker full of cat pee, and he just got elected to a school board. 
when 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 uh. when when Prince died, I was watching a documentary about him on television, and I was visiting my folks, and my dad went, "Oh, little Richard died." <laughs> like, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah just, sort of like that. Just another guitar. One. Um, yeah. I was going to ask about Trump. We had talked to Samantha B this week about Trump and mm-hmm. whether she senses any fatigue about that as a topic. Every media outlet we do it spends a lot of time talking about Trump, and then we're also sort of thinking like, well, how much of this do we want to keep doing? And there's stuff that. Would have been an amazing story six months ago, and now it's just Donald Trump insulting a U.S. senator on Twitter, and we're used to that. Yeah. When we, well, that's the that's the danger of it, as Jim Brooks, my old boss, wrote in Broadcast News. What do you think the devil's going to look like? He's going to have a pitchfork and a tail? No, he's going to be a guy in a suit, and he's just going to slowly lower our standards everywhere they're important. That's crazily an underappreciated movie now for some reason. Yeah, it is. I guess it's, it's a crazy it's old. It's in the 80s. Yeah, it you should go watch it. Yeah, Broadcast News is great. Yeah. And Albert Brooks is just the best. Yeah. Um, but I so, can sing while I read. I am reading and singing both. And you should watch Real Life. You should. Uh, oh, Albert, Albert Brooks was my like. I, I'm a huge. He was George Carlin and Albert Brooks were my two. Like, if I could only be as good as these guys, and uh, I I got to know them both, <laughs> and they're both excellent human beings. Yeah, Albert Brooks sort of stopped doing the. Comedy so much. Well, he doesn't do stand-up anymore. He has an yeah. animated series with Louis that's coming out on oh, really? FX. Yeah, and oh. uh, and oh. one of my great like top five show business moments was at a Simpsons party and just kind of like eyeballing him. And then he looked at me and he went, "Hello, Dana," because we'd met before uh, back in the day, but I didn't know he remembered me. And, oh, I would, yeah. I would, I would not make eye contact. No, it's was, it was, and then we chat. You know, then we talked. Yeah. You know, we talked about kids. So it's, but he's scary great. So on Trump, when when you are doing your comedy. What do you? We're talking audience? about Eric. <laughs> yes, obviously, <laughs> obviously. Do you? Do your audiences in clubs when you're performing? Do they want Trump stuff? Do they not? Here's want Trump the thing. Stuff? I had a. I did a very mild joke about Donald Trump in Portland, Oregon, and a guy threw a bottle of beer at my head. Um, because which he was I've a never, Donald Trump fan. Yeah, and really? there's no. And he's your fan. He's at your show. And he came to the show. There's no uh, play with uh, the diehard Trump people. People walk out every week. And, you know, I've been doing comedy long enough that when I started, I did jokes about Reagan and the Repo- and everything was fine. But like you were just saying, the people who come to your shows come to see you. They're yeah. not randomly in a bar. Yeah, but I think because up. of Adam, I have a lot of, because Adam has yeah. a lot of right wing. And they don't realize that you're Dana Gould and that you don't They don't Donald put it Trump. together. I don't think they're, and they're they casual. Show up, they like show up and they're horrified. Um, but what I find the way I do it, the way to sneak it in is to, I don't, I, I touch upon it enough because it's you have to acknowledge the elephant in the room, but it's not where I go comedically. I think George right. Carlin. You're used not to, a political. I'm not. No, George Carlin used to call them layups. It's like, yeah, you know, you shoot some layups, but you know, you you want to get out there and really try to score. But what I, the way I do it is, I do the f- fake compliment. You know, it's like a lot of. I'm tired of people putting down the president. Let me tell you some things that are great about the president. You know, you know. Remember when we had a first lady that didn't have a girl-girl photo gallery on Pornhub? <laughs> All right, we have that now, okay? You know, stuff like that. Uh, and it, but, it disarms but, them. But, you know, I have But there's a line, in you, in you, but you are consciously thinking, I do not want to upset some segment of my audience. I don't mind upsetting them if it's for a legitimate reason, uh-huh. but I am also up aware of the fact that these people have paid money. They hired a babysitter. They came out. This is a, they don't want to be lectured or hectored. This is a, a night out for them, and I want to be entertaining, but it's also I, I have my opinions, and I'm not going to – I'll tell you, you know, I have a, 
you know, the album is out now, Mr. Funny Man, available on iTunes and Amazon. And so now I'm writing the new hour and a big chunk of the new hour is I have a big chunk about guns and I have to talk about I'm not talking about I have to give this sort of like preamble like as if you're running for office. Yeah, I'm not talking about people who use guns to do things that they love. Because I come from those people. I had a rifle. Right, this, is like a, this is like a Democrat. Yeah, I have a, a rifle campaign. cabinet in my bedroom. Where you have to explain your affinity, that you know people, that you yeah. appreciate the Second Amendment, but. Yeah, I'm talking about, you know, if you have guns because you love to go hunting or you want to protect yeah. your family, or I get that. I really get that. I'm talking about people who love guns and talk about loving guns. And if you love guns, that's, you have a mental problem. Because that's like saying you love a flashlight. Uh-huh. It's not going to return. But you feel affection. like you have to have that preamble. And then I, that yeah, display. and then I go into what guns mean to those people, which is a bigger, better penis than the one God gave them. And that's why those arguments get so heated. It's long, it's hard, and if you squeeze it just right, one, it explodes. And if you just swap out the words and there are many, many memes, it all becomes apparent. You'll pry my dick from my cold, dead hands. My it's grandfather took me full, to the woods the and taught metal, me how to use a dick, and I'm going to do the same for right? my boy. Or yeah, that's exactly with right. Guns and grab their dicks. Right, um, but what you do by doing that is by doing that preamble, you allow people to laugh at it, because all of our politics now has nothing to do with politics. It's just innate biological Homo sapien tribalism. You take a group, leave it alone for an hour, and you have two groups. And the reason that 37% of the population is never going to abandon him is because they're never going to say, I'm wrong, which is the whole What do you make of, of sort of uh, like getting late night? You've watched you know, Fallon go from being very popular to maybe less popular because he's maybe not being political. Colbert uh-huh. steered into being yeah. political. Kimmel touched it a couple times. And yeah. that, that was a big explosion. Um, so. That part I get a little more. You're turning on TV, and maybe you don't expect to sort of be challenged necessarily, especially on broadcast TV. Again, I'm I'm just surprised that people who come to see you don't sort of know what they're getting. Yeah, and no, I get you know I think 95 percent do and five uh-huh. percent don't. And you know this guy was a drunken jerk, and he was you know he never came close to hitting me, and he was on the sidewalk before I realized what happened. So it, it, it's it's a non-event. But I get people to walk out if you make fun of. Front of Trump, and they're the first people to call you a snowflake if you get offended by something. Uh-huh. But they they just storm out because I think it's also uh, they know they made a mistake and they can't admit it and they don't it in their face. I, I guess my version of it is I listen to Adam Carolla a lot less now after the election because I figure you know what I got yeah. enough Trump in that. Yeah, he he sort of eased off it, I think. But yeah, uh, yeah. Periodically, I'm like, I wonder what he, what he would say about that. I'm like, no, I don't want to. I don't want. They don't want to talk about it. it. You know, they don't address it. You know, if you want to look, the world is loud and noisy and hectic. And if you want to get a little bit of peace and quiet, just ask somebody who is angry about Benghazi what they think of Niger or Niger. (laughs) And it's just crickets, birds. They don't say a peep. Should we end it there? Should we end on on Niger? No. Pretty hot. It's funny because what I wasn't. So I wasn't sexy what I was saying, but my voice went to a very sexy place. <laughs> the quiet storm. <laughs> the quiet storm. <laughs> we that's, can, that's my new album, Dana Gould, The Quiet Storm. I'm going to get, get that Dana after. Dana Gould's new album, The Quiet Storm, out on iTunes. Uh, from what, the producers of Afternoon Moods. You should watch Dana Gould's show <laughs> hot on cup of, Hot cup of talk. 
Yes, let's get the plugs I, in. Let's, pl- let's plug you. IFC, Hulu, Stand Against Stand Evil. Against Evil Season 2 premieres November 1st on IFC. Season 1 is on Hulu now, and a free sneak of episode of Season 2 is right now on IFC's Facebook. Dana Goldauer, which you can the listen Dana to. The Dana Goldauer Podcast, where podcasts are sold. And now in your grocer's freezer. Yes, just like this one. And Mr. Funny Man available on... Uh, and go see Dana Live. Do not throw a iTunes bottle iTunes Records and Tape. Don't throw a bottle. Dana, you've been extraordinarily patient with me. I can tell you this hour has been Kafka-esque. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Thanks to you guys for listening. All we ask of you is that you patronize our sponsors because they're great. And then also that you tell someone about this podcast so they can listen as well. Um, if you like seeing this stuff live, we can do that too. The Code Media Conference is February 12th and 13th. We have awesome media moguls coming to that. You can find out more about that at recode.net. Thanks to our sponsors. Thanks to Cadence 13, who brings those sponsors to this show. Thanks to my producers, Beth O'Connell, Eric Johnson, and my editor, Chris Basil. This is Recode Media. I will see you next week.